0: The Voice of Motown, West Virginia's leader in news, analysis, and rumors, proudly presents The Voice of Motown podcast, featuring your boys, Brandon and Tyler. Take it away, gentlemen.
1: All right, the West Virginia Mountaineers defeat Eastern Kentucky 80-77. to This is The Voice of Motown podcast, and I'm Tyler Pepe.
0: I'm Brandon Cork, and this is a WVU Sports Podcast by two suffering WVU fans.
1: All right, this was a hard-fought win tonight. Eastern Kentucky started the game making six out of their first nine threes, and they jumped out to an early lead, twelve to two. The Mountaineers were resilient, kept chipping away, but you know, West Virginia only held the lead in this game for less than a total of five minutes. So we're very lucky to be walking away with a victory tonight um but they don't ask how they ask how many and wvu earns their fifth win so what are your thoughts on the game
0: yeah it was definitely uglier than i was expecting going into the game but um you know i think eastern kentucky is a quality team and they came out hot but uh you know another similar to the clemson game which we'll touch on later um a lot of heart to come back and claw their way back into this one
1: Yeah, 100%. Uh, I feel like a majority of Mountaineer fans really underestimated EKU. But credit to them. I mean, they got some nice players. It didn't seem like a fluke uh, the way they were scoring some of those buckets. So they're probably gonna have a fun team to watch. If you're a fan of EKU, they might make a splash in the tournament this year. Um, But we're we're gonna kind of jumble all of West Virginia's last few games together, because honestly, we're, we're kind of seeing the same issues pop up in every game, at least I think so. Um, so let's kind of touch on the last few games they played. They got a win over Elon in the tournament, and then they advanced to Marquette. Obviously, the Mar- Marquette game was very disappointing, having a big lead in the second half to eventually um, lose by 11. So, And the game was a little closer than the final score indicates, They gave up a ton of corner threes, which we saw a lot of tonight as well. And uh, credit to Marquette, credit to EKU, and all these teams were playing. They're making these shots, but man, you can't give up that many open quarter threes. But, um, you know, these teams, they just seem to catch fire. However, the Mountaineers responded after that Marquette game with great hustle and a great win over Clemson. And they were trailing by as much as 10 points in the second half of that game. Um, so without a doubt, this team has a lot of heart, but they do have some issues that I feel like they need to correct before big 12 play.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, the interesting thing to me, even though we won pretty handily against Elon, it just kind of highlighted how one dimensional our offensive game is. Um, Taz Sherman had 27. Sean McNeil had 16. So out of those 87 points, 43, almost exactly half were from two players. Um, And it's tough to win if you're only having two guys who can put the ball in the basket reliably. And we saw that kind of reflect into the Marquette game, where in the second half, Taz only went two for nine with three free throws, and McNeil went one for seven in the second half. So we held Marquette to 37 points, which is only two more points than they had in the first half. But we only scored 25 because our two best scorers, just didn't produce. And that's not their fault. Defenses are going to figure out a way to take away our top weapons. And McNeil's probably a little easier to take out than Taz because he is a spot up shooter. But you know, if someone has a good shutdown defender, they can put him on Taz. Makes our offense a lot more ugly to watch. So we need guys like Bridges and Curry, like Curry had tonight, to step up and figure out ways to create shots for themselves. I mean Curry tonight had 16 points on I think six of eight shooting. Um, all of them attacking the basket. We need more performances like that. We need more guys who can come in and step up in roles like that. Um, And then that the Clemson win, I mean, it was just an effort win. I mean, Gabe was the, uh, the player of the game that, that, that game, seven rebounds, four assists, one steal, one block. Um, We, we uh, forced eight turnovers in the past 12 minutes, just getting back to WVU basketball. So that was much more of a defensive win. Um, But, I don't think there's gonna to be too many games we're gonna where we're gonna face a team who is gonna we're gonna be able to shut down offensively very often. So that offense, that third option is gonna be super important moving forward.
1: Yeah, 100%. And uh, unfortunately, this is kind of just the nature of having a shooting team. Uh, you'll have moments of being extremely hot and then moments being extremely cold. That's when it's nice to have um, inside presence who can get you a tough two points by the basket. Uh, You know, Kerrigan and Polycap's inside defense. It's all right. Um, I feel like, you know, sometimes they get left hanging because of how we double team and pressure, but this team is clearly missing a player like Derek Culver, who can be relied on when the team is going cold. So what do you think about our inside issues?
0: Yeah, I think it's definitely, I think one of two things need to happen. So I think you can win without an elite big man, more of kind of like a dunking or a a putback guy like Polycap and Gabe and Kerrigan are. Um, If you have someone who's able to attack the paint, like Curry did this past game, if you don't have someone who can reliably do that, you need someone who can post up because then you are solely relying on, um, you know, long twos and threes like WVU kind of, did a lot last year whenever T when when Culver was getting into foul trouble so um you know the perfect player to have right now would be Oscar um I know we don't want to hear that but um you know he'd be perfect he, he would solve the rebounding issues he was a, a force scoring inside he had some moves And right now we really don't have that guy um Cottrell seems to be the guy who should be able to get that get there but he's so young and that Achilles injury is a tough one to come back from so you really need to have time to get into the weight room, put some weight on, put some strength on. So you can, you know, develop some movement, take the beating that you get playing in there with other guys who are 250, 260 pounds bearing down on you all game. And you can kind of see with Cottrell, he's only been able to play about a dozen minutes a game so far this year. And, you know, some of that may just be being ready or not. And some of it may just be his body's not ready. So, um, I'm really hoping over the next month, uh, two months, um, before Big 12 play kind of gets into the thick of things, he can figure it out or we find someone who's able to um, drive to the basket reliably and open things up for everyone else.
1: Yeah, 100 percent. And don't, don't forget, we could have Derek Culver right now as well, um, which is crazy to think about what could have been with the players we have this year. Uh, You know, know, I don't want to disrespect the the centers too much. I love the way Kerrigan hustles and gets up and down the court. There's times I have to check the number on his jersey just to see if that's really him because, you know, we're not used to really seeing a center just, you know, hustling quickly up and down the court, falling out of bounds and hitting the ball off the opposing team to save a possession. Just real heads-up stuff. And so I like how they play, but, man, they have to develop the – some type of offensive move. It's not like, you know, D.C. had a ton of moves underneath, but he had a nice little hook shot, things he could go to. And it, it was nice just to be able to throw the ball inside to him when we were struggling to shoot outside, and we just simply don't have that this year.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, you know, it would have been nice to have someone who was a little bit more versatile brought in. Um, but I do understand the role of Kerrigan and Polycap because, you know, the, both those guys came in as, Legit shot blockers, and that's something we needed last year. Um, but making them, having both of them on the team makes them a little redundant. Um, they are both very similar in size, very similar in length, very similar in skill set. So, um, I did like that Kerrigan almost had that dunk. It looked like he was fouled today. Um, Mm -hmm. if that's something that could be a part of his game, you know, as a lob threat, I think that's huge because we haven't really had a lob threat since Oscar.
1: Yeah, 100%. I'm with you. Um, And just to talk more about the game tonight against Eastern Kentucky, the Mountaineers struggled to find another offensive threat in the first half besides Taz Sherman. I believe uh, Gabo Saboyan was the second leading scorer at halftime, if I remember correctly, with just six points. But luckily, Malik Curry stepped up and had a huge second half. So let's talk about Taz and Malik, because they really had historical nights for their careers. Taz finished with a career-high 28 points tonight. And he absolutely carried the offense for a majority of this game. Sean and Jalen can have a lot of games like they had tonight. I think they each had five points and just missed a lot of shots. So, I mean, everyone's going to have down games here and there. It's just unfortunate they both had one at the same time. Um, But, yeah, we really need a you can't have your second and third scores having down nights like that, or they're not going to win a lot of games in the big 12 this year. But what do you think about Taz without him? We easily lose this game.
0: Yeah. I mean, Taz is someone who <coughs> um, I always thought of as, you know, one of the best pure offensive players that we've had. Um, even coming back to whenever he was being recruited, just, you know, reading his recruiting profile and the numbers he put up in Juco. Um, You know, he kind of seemed like a guy who you could build your offensive around in some way, shape, or form. I mean, he can pass the ball. He gets to the rim. He's crafty. He can make his free throws, hit threes. Um, You know, something that we haven't really had at the guard position. Um, So, you know, it's great to see that, you know, my fandom um, was was accurate in portraying how he would end up being coming. Um, and, And we were kind of talking during the game about, you know, if the offense gets stagnant, it would make sense to run like a a five-out set with him and have him ISO on people because I think he has that type of skill set. And that would definitely help open up things up for our shooters, which I think leading into Sean, um, is part of his issue is that he is a spot-up shooter and he needs to get into a rhythm. So, you know, if his guy is just stuck to him like glue and he has to move around all over the court and just chuck up the contested shots, it's going to be tough for him. So, you know, if Taz gets going, we get some guys who are, able to draw the defense in is just going to make his life easier.
1: Yeah. um, About Taz going ISO, obviously, you know, no one wants to see that be the majority of your offense, but I would absolutely be cool with that. If the offense is struggling, if they just say, Hey, ISO with Taz, and, you know, let's see if you can get us a bucket and really get things going. But we were talking a lot at halftime and while watching the game about we need our point guards driving. That opens up everything. And they finally start doing it in the second half. And Malik Curry was the guy who did it. And I mean, he's got such a good skill set to drive to the bucket because not only can he finish those difficult layups, but that opens up the three so much. So let's talk about his game tonight. He had a great second half, finished with 16 points, which is a career high in a Mountaineer uniform. Obviously, he's had more points, but that that's the most he's had since he's in in morgantown so um i think he can be very special he's still developing and learning under uh coach hugs the offense should be more penetration to the basket our game plan in the first half seemed to be a lot of deep twos three pointers um i think our offense should involve more driving to the basket because that is going to open up the three-point shots and get guys like sean mcneil going and more involved
0: oh absolutely i mean um Curry's body control is just incredible in the lane. It's unbelievable to see how he's able to contort his body, maintain his balance and finish. I mean, it seems like if he just gets a halfway decent angle, um, he's finishing. I mean, it doesn't doesn't matter who's there. He's just so attuned to what his body can do and how to get the ball off the glass in the right way. Um, It's just incredible to watch. Um, And, you know, I'm with you. We We need to be driving to the hoop more often because, you know, in today's basketball from the NBA to college to high school everywhere it's very analytically driven and I'm a big fan of the analytics where you know the best shots on the quarter three point or three pointers and layups um and if you can't do that draw fouls you know if you're taking two pointers from a step inside the three-point line that's a bad shot because you're shooting basically from three-point range but it's only worth two um and that's something we did a lot last year and I think that hurt us some um obviously, Miles McBride was tremendous hitting those shots and McNeil could do that occasionally, but this year we really don't have someone who can reliably hit those mid long twos. So, um, you know, we definitely need to try to get to the rim and worst case scenario, just draw contact, try to get to the line. I mean, I know our free throw shooting was abysmal today, but even if you're missing them, you're getting other players in foul trouble. And if it's, you know, some of them important, like we got out against EKU today, one of their best players got fouled out that just makes things easier on our offense and defense going forward. So um, it's doing double the work for, you know, one possession.
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, Deuce driving to the bucket last year is how, you know, Sean McNeil got a lot of those open threes. And then once he heats up, we all know he's insane. He can start making them from the logos. You just got to get them going. So um, I think our offense should be more driven to pick and rolls to the bucket and then if they start collapsing after you make a couple just kick it out um which brings me to Jalen Bridges maybe I'm being too tough on Jalen because he's only a sophomore which is hard to believe but he is he's still very young but I'm waiting for this kid to really establish himself as a clear number one or a clear cut number two player on this team And he absolutely shows flashes of it, of being able to do it. But I'd like to see it on a more consistent basis. I don't know. Maybe I'm being too hard on him. What do you think?
0: So uh, kind of my read on him, it seems like he's too nice. Um, And that's good to have as a teammate. It's not necessarily good to have as one of your leaders. And he kind of seems to respect you know, Sean McNeil and Taz Sherman's role on the team. So he kind of defers to them when there's times where you know he just needs to go out there and try to take over um you know the, the one thing that we kind of uh seen with some of our good wings before is you know it's the difference between isa ahmad and deshaun butler deshaun butler kind of took the reins and said this is my team i'm going to go out there and figure out how to score and win games and th- that's on it's going to be on me with ahmad he would only come out to play against kansas and every other time he was just kind of loafing on the perimeter um despite all the natural talent that he has now bridges is still young I'm not saying that Issa is going to be, or not Issa, but uh, Bridges is going to be anything like Issa. Um, but, you know, you you do want to see that, that drive early on because that's a real indicator for what they can become. And, you know, he has the shot. He has the finishing ability. He's a great slasher. Defensively, he's very good. You know, he can rebound. He's actually one of the top rebounders on the team. It's just that taking guys off the dribble piece, which he's more than athletic enough to do. You don't have to be you know, Allen Iverson with the ball. All you have to do is be able to run past that guy, put your shoulder down and, you know, try to put the ball in the basket.
1: Yeah, 100%. And coming into this game, my thoughts were this team is at its peak when Taz and Jalen are the top two scoring threats and Sean McNeil's your third guy. After watching Malik Curry tonight, you know, I I wouldn't be shocked if he kind of slips into that top two, top three go-to guys that you can put the ball in his hands and rely on them. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know right now. Jalen is the third leading scorer. at least before this game. I'm not sure what the, what the totals for the season are after Eastern Kentucky, but going into the game, he was the third leading scorer with 10.2 points per game. And, uh, that's because he had a nice 18 point game versus Pitt. He's had three games where he's had eight or less points. And like I said, he has flashes of greatness. You can see it. He'll make a little move. Just the his shot's pretty from three when he's opened out there. He's, he's got flashes of being a dominant player. I just want to see it on a more consistent basis. Uh, but, you know, he is young. Maybe I'm asking too much of him. Maybe we'll see that more in his junior and senior year. But um, on <laughs> nights like this, it would be great Um to see him step up and really come into his own.
0: Yeah. And it seemed like a lot of, I mean, Huggins and other people were just talking him up so much. I mean, even when we talked to Culver in the interview that we did with him, he mentioned Bridges and said, you know, he's the guy who's going to break out this year. I mean, the players see it in practice. The coaches are seeing it. You know, the fans, when they go up to the scrimmage games are seeing it. It's just about, you know, having that drive and, you know, understanding that, Hey, you know, I'm, I deserve to have the ball too. Um, and go out there and figure out ways to score so um that'll come i think the confidence will get there maybe it's something that he just needs to kind of be forced into um maybe there's a game where mcneil and taz are both struggling and Huggins just hands in the keys and says hey i need you now and that's what turns it on but you know who knows um everyone's different everyone has different motivating factors and maybe it's not something we see him take the lead on until next year but you know we do need to see more from him um, this season if we're going to have a successful, successful season.
1: Yeah, I definitely think he'll he'll get out of it. Um, I think he will emerge eventually. I'm just hoping it's before Big 12 play. We do, you know, on paper, we have an easy non-conference schedule. But, man, it seems like most of these games just come down to the wire. So I'm not sure if it's uh, – they're taking advantage of our – you know, struggles that we're having here and there, or if these are just legit teams, because they all seem to be really good shooting teams we're playing against. Um, Something else I wanted to bring up, who do you want to have the majority of playing time at point guard? I guess Curry kind of answered this for me tonight. Um, But how often do you want to see two of them on the floor at the same time? For example, running the point while Kobe's shooting guard or Keddy running the point and Curry at shooting guard. Um, I notice Hugs is messing with that a lot. And I like it. I like that he's trying everything out and seeing what works in these early games.
0: I think it depends the who else is out there with him. Like that's true. Yeah, I think it Yeah, I think it depends who's out there with them. Like, you know, we have if you have Curry and Kobe out there with them, you can't obviously have, you know, Taz or McNeil in there at the three. Um, or have all four of them out, I think you're just sacrificing way too much size. Um, You know, you you do have to, I mean, you could probably do it with three of them, but if you get a fourth out there, it's probably impossible. So I think it's good to do that in order to spell Sean's, uh, spell Taz. But um, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of it, um, just because, you know, I, I, I do think that, you know, that that lack of size hurts a little bit. And, you know, someone like I, I think with Kobe out there, it works because Kobe has some offense potential where with Keddie, he's a little streaky. Um, you know, he doesn't hit a lot of shots. He seems he can drive to the basket a little bit, but he doesn't really finish too well. And, um, you know, I think his role is more defensive. Um, so it just really depends on who they're surrounding, who, who the surrounding cast is.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I noticed, I don't know, I watched all three of the games we're discussing today, so I'm getting them kind of mixed up. But I'm pretty sure he did have like two point guards and Taz all playing at one point in one of those games. And, you know, I don't hate it as long as it's something you're just going to throw out there for a few minutes to see if maybe you can get, you know, a little streak going uh, on offense so I don't hate it I kind of I, like I said earlier I like that he's messing around seeing what works who gels together but yeah it seems like without a doubt that Malik really stepped up today and kind of took that point guard position so I'm sure he'll be seeing most of the playing time between those three um but yeah it's a good problem to have we were kind of talking about this at the halftime show. Uh, I can't remember the last time West Virginia has had this deep of a team in basketball. It seems like we always had, you know, our starting five and then maybe two or three really reliable guys coming off the bench in these past few years. But this year, I mean, there's never a time Hugs put someone in and I'm thinking, oh, no, not this guy again. Like, they're all reliable and they can all play. I love it.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. I love all the options, and that's why I'm kind of optimistic with how the lineups and rotations are going to work out because, you know, we have just have so many guys, and eventually you're going to figure out who works in what situations. And Hugs is a smart guy. I mean, he has 904 wins for a reason. Um, He's going to figure it out, and we should be the better for it. Um, It's just going to take time to figure out what works best, when it works best, and what type of opponent it's going to work against.
1: Yeah, I'm with you um that's pretty much it for me do you have anything
0: else to add yeah so i wanted to dig in a little bit to kind of the, the analytics especially you know both on the offense and defense and it was kind of interesting what i found so um i pulled some stats from a site called hoop math um they have all sorts of advanced analytics on you know anything from transition offense to you know how you're performing defensively so i found some interesting things and these are cumulative stats these aren't from a, a certain sample size so it does include some of our bigger wins against poorer opponents as well as some of the loss against Marquette but the one thing I found really interesting is that as possessions go longer for WVU um, on offense their field goal percentage goes down quite a bit so you know when they're scoring in transition they're scoring on about 60 percent of their shots Um, but if they're running their offense they're at about 50 percent which is a little low uh, 40 or effective field goal percentage so it's a little bit weighted depending on free throws um but whenever they're 25 seconds into the possession or lower um or higher i should say they're only shooting about 42 percent effectively from the field and they're only getting 28 uh, about 30 percent of their shots from at the rim and when they do get shots at the rim with in that time period they're only shooting 17 percent so um, it seems like WVU kind of excels more when they're, you know, scoring quicker. You know, they're going through their their offense faster. They're scoring in transition. Um, you know, those longer sets seem to be something that's hurting WVU. So uh, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I, I would say those don't surprise me too much because I assume a lot of the quick points they're getting are probably when, you know, they were just lighting up pit, stealing it and laying it up. So you're probably getting a lot of, you know, high quality, easy shots on those quick possessions. But yeah, I mean, it does kind of highlight WVU's problem where when they do set up their offense, you know, like you said earlier, they are taking, you know, poor shots. Um, I don't want to say most of the time because, you know, sometimes our offense is really hot and it's flowing, but more than I would like to see, I'll just put it that way. So um, yeah, that is kind of an eye-opening stat, but it doesn't shock me too much.
0: Yeah, and you know, just to kind of build off of that trend, Jalen Bridges is actually their best and most effective scorer on those shorter possession drives. He is shooting um 67% at the rim, 75% from three. Um, but he's just not putting up a lot of volume on anything else. And whenever you get further into the shot clock, so this is whenever they are 10 seconds, only 10 seconds into the shot clock, Bridges before this game only had four shooting attempts whenever there was between 10 and 25 seconds left elapsed from the shot clock so just kind of goes to show you I don't know if the coaches aren't running plays for him or if they are and he's just passing it up for another option and not to kind of pile on bridges um but you know that's a tale of two stories right there where whenever you're having these quick possessions and he's getting open he's money like he's making everything but as soon as you start running your sets a little bit, he just disappears.
1: Yeah, it does seem like, I don't know if timid's the right word, but it does seem like when things settle down and he gets the ball and it's just him and someone else, just man-to-man, one-on-one, he does, I don't know if he just doesn't have confidence in those go-to moves like a Taz does, but it seems like he's way more willing to you know, pass it up. He seems most effective when he gets the ball quick and then a defender's closing because so often he'll do that pump fake and then take it in for a dunk or he will put up the three and he's more incapable of hitting those as well. So I don't know. I mean, it kind of touches on what we were talking about earlier. I just want to see him more aggressive and I just wish he had like the confidence in himself that we all have in him. I mean, we look at him, the kid. He's going to be an absolute stud, whether it's next year or later on in this year. And I just wish, like, he could have the same confidence that all of us thinks he's capable of.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, at the beginning of the season, just from all the talk that we heard, I was actually worried about losing him to the NBA draft after the season. Now, that's still not out of the question, but, you know, when you look at him from a height, length, builds perspective, athleticism perspective, he fits the mold. I mean, he could play, you know, from two down to four. He can rebound. He can do everything. It's just about that getting that assertiveness. So um, obviously it would suck to lose, you know, Taz, Sean, and Bridges in one year. But I I would rather have all three of them be stars and drive us to a deep turning run and lose all three than, you know, to say what if.
1: Yeah, he he definitely checks all the, the boxes. I mean, without a doubt. Um and yeah, now that you brought that up, it's scary to think how many people were losing, even Kerrigan, Polycap, Curry, and just so so many people were going to be losing at the end of this year. That's why I really hope you know it's it seems like they are starting to gel more and more. Um, you know they have the capability of putting points up. They just really need to lock down on defense because in the bat in the past when it was Press Virginia, we could go on these super cold shooting streaks and still win because we were playing such tough defense that most games were pretty low scoring. Seems like now every, every game's a shootout. And so you can't really afford to go on these big cold streaks and still win, especially against Big 12 opponents. I mean, they're not going to let you come back if you if you get down early. And so, um, you know, I'm sure Coach Huggs will start to tighten up the defense, but I'm hoping we start seeing that before Big 12 play
0: starts. Oh, definitely, and then you know to to transition to the defense um it's interesting to see, and this may be part of what the offense wants to do um versus what w v lets them do, but you know, as far as shot distribution goes, opponents get about forty percent of their shots at the rim and thirty eight percent of their shots from three point range, so only about twenty two percent of their shots come from two, and that's where you want guys shooting so Huggins is a defensive coach, and I was kind of shocked to see that that's kind of where he's forcing people to take shots because he's very good at kind of designing schemes to get people where he wants them. But the past few games, we've seen him kind of decide to double team the paint a little bit more, which then leaves that corner three open and wide open every time. And we saw Eastern Kentucky tonight just go out there. And every time the the point guard would drive into the lane, that backside corner was wide open. Um, And it seemed like it was money every time. So that's a little bit of a concern to me. Um, I'm not sure if that's designed by Huggins that way, because that is kind of a tough pass or, you know, someone's just not rotating over correctly.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, like we said earlier, it just seems like these teams we're playing are, you know, they they just get hot. Like they don't miss if they're open. And anytime you're going to be trapping up by the half court line, two on one, You know, not unless you do get back really quick or, you know, hopefully they miss a couple open ones. It is going to hurt you, and it has. I mean, I I can't think of too many times any team we played this year miss an open three from the corner from the, you know, not quite the top of the key, but just somewhere between the corner and the top. They seem to be hitting all of them. So um, I don't know if the game plan is just to hope they aren't, Eating up and making a lot of those, but that is just the nature of playing trap defense. You know, you're going to, if the oppo- opponent is passing well, they're going to find someone open.
0: Yeah. And that's why I kind of wonder, like, if we should keep on pressing, because, you know, it feels like if you're going to press, Caddy is kind of the best guard to have out there. Taz and Sean aren't really built to do that. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be interested to see if Huggins would ever go back to kind of that one three one trapping zone that he ran during that uh tournament run because that worked and you know it was terrifying for defenses um or offenses um you know putting Gabe up at the top as opposed to Ebanks that could be something that's interesting so it'd be interesting to see if that would be something Huggins would adopt it seems like as soon as he lost that group of players he abandoned all hopes of teaching someone the zone again because they were um transplants from that B line organization that did Run a lot of zones, so it was a lot easier for him to teach that. And Beeline was a great coach of the, the one-three-one and two-three zones. Um, not really Huggins' forte, but it might be something that works better for this team, who is has some pretty good size across the board. We don't have anyone who's huge down low, but we have a lot of long, athletic players.
1: Yeah, yeah, they are lengthy, and like we talked about earlier, even the big guys are pretty quick on their feet and the athletic. Um, the only thing I would say that Huggins probably doesn't like about it is we all know the one three one. You don't rebound very well on missed shots, so um,
0: we don't rebound well now.
1: <laughs> we, and that's what I was about to say. So I don't know if Huggs doesn't like running that just because you know he. We all know how he, he's real hard on rebounds and tough defense, and that kind of leaves that weak. But uh, yeah, like you said, I mean we're already not rebounding well, so maybe that would increase turnovers. I don't know. We'll see. It'll be interesting to see how he adjusts uh, this next month because Big 12 plays right around the corner at the beginning of
0: January. And I think we open up with Texas,
1: right? Oh, man. I mean, I don't know. I haven't looked that far in advance yet.
0: I looked once, and I'm pretty sure it was Texas. But uh, I had one more thing to talk about, too, Um again, about the defense. So um, WU is actually pretty good at limiting teams at scoring and transition um that so only about 29 percent of opponents field goals percentage come off of transition attempts um however the one thing i thought was concerning is that whenever teams have 10 seconds or left or less on the shot clock their effective field goal percentage jumps from 62 percent or jumps to 62 percent from about 50 percent so 11 percentage points higher that late in the shot clock, which is kind of counterintuitive to, you know, how defenses normally work. If you're shutting someone down early in the clock, it doesn't really make sense for them to get better as you're locking them down later in the clock. So um, again, that might be a symptom of the trap.
1: Yeah, I would think so, because it does seem like there's a lot of times that uh, when we are playing just straight up man, that the guy gets beat off the dribble, heading to the bucket And then it seems like whoever's covering the corner three normally cheats down, you know, with the clock ticking down. They think, ah, you know, we got to stop this guy from an easy layup. And then they just kick it out corner three. (laughs) So maybe that's why? I don't know, to be honest.
0: Yeah, it's just something that I always thought was, you know, crazy, especially when, you know, you're giving up good shots late in the clock or you're fouling guys late in the clock. I mean, it seems like things that we've done just as a tradition at WVU. (laughs) Um, giving guys more time on the clock to, to create again. Um, and, you know, obviously Huggins doesn't want that happening. But again, you know, with the players that were playing out there, I mean, Sean McNeil isn't the, the quickest guard out there. Taz Sherman isn't a lockdown defender. I don't think he's bad. I think he's pretty solid. Um, and, you know, Cottrell was still kind of learning his way out there when he's out there. I think Bridges is great. Um, I think the the three big men that we rotate in, Gabe, Kerrigan, Polycap, they're all great. Um, Curry has his moments Keddy, if he's not being too aggressive Can be really good um, But like like we've said It's just about finding the right combination of guys out there Who can defend without hurting Our offense too much
1: Yeah 100% And I hope Hugs keeps messing with the lineups Just uh, you know it's kind of nice It's almost refreshing to see especially when you're In a funk to just put a different group Out there and, and see what they do While they're playing together
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, that's all I had for my uh, stats portion.
1: All right. Well, uh, we'll probably do another basketball podcast next week. Um, But just so you guys know, the game's coming up. We have Bellarmine on Tuesday, November 30th. We have Radford Saturday, December 4th next week. And then a big one, Connecticut, December 8th. They just played a great game against Auburn that I watched a couple of days ago. So, um that team will be no joke. We'll definitely um have to get some of these issues fixed before we play them. And like I was telling Brandon during that uh Eastern Yeah, Eastern Kentucky game, we these are the games we got to win because I hope I'm wrong, but I've been saying all along that I think it's going to be an up and down Big 12 year. Uh, I think we're going to go somewhere around 500, whether it's a game or two above or a game or two below or maybe right on the money. I think we're going to be about 500 in Big 12 play. So, um, you know, Bellarmine, Radford, hopefully Connecticut. These are the games we need to win if we want to comfortably make it into the tournament. I don't want to have to be sneaking in those last couple of weeks before tournament time.
0: Yeah. I think the one good thing about the Big 12 this year, though, is it seems like it's a kind of a down year. I mean, Iowa State didn't do much last year. Kansas State never really does much. Um, Oklahoma State um, lost their best player, but I still think they they have a good coach. They have some good players, so they should be competitive this year. Um, Kansas is always good. Uh, Man, Texas Tech lost their coach. <laughs> oh, they just lost. Yeah, but they'll they'll figure out a way to still win the Big 12 because that's what Kansas does. Um, oh, yeah. They'll be good. And then Texas Tech lost their coach to Texas. Um, and, you know, Beard is in Texas with, you know, some good players, but they lost a lot of talent. And um, I'm forgetting someone that lost a lot of talent uh, that I was going um, oh, to say. Baylor. Oklahoma. Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah Baylor's good. They lost their three best players though. And then um who uh who am I forgetting? TCU? TCU? <laughs> no. Oh, uh, Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Lon Kruger retired. So, yeah. Um that's a that, that's good for us because Lon Kruger despite of if his team is good or bad, always finds a way to beat WVU at least once. So, um that <laughs> yes. helps a lot. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, you know, it's always fun to watch Big 12
1: basketball. Um, you know, for all the complaints people have about WVU going to the Big 12, um, they they do have fun basketball every year. So I have no complaints about being in this conference when it comes to that.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think it's going to be a good year for us, especially if we can fix, uh, fix things because really the only tough teams, I mean, Oklahoma State, Texas, Kansas, If you can get through the rest of the conference with a 75% win percentage and, you know, you're in a good spot going into the tournament, you could probably get like a a fifth seed, fourth seed. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. So um, I'm excited. I have faith in hugs. Um, I have faith in this roster. So, yeah, very excited for the rest of this basketball season.
1: One hundred percent, and uh, you know, win or lose, this team's going to be fun to watch. I think they're already proven that with just you know these Eastern Kentucky, Clemson, Marquette games. Um, you know, they're just fun to watch because they're so streaky and they they play hard. I mean, that's one thing you cannot you know say about this team is um, every single person on there plays tough, and they are the classic Bob Huggins player, which you know West Virginia fans love to see.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: All right, guys. Well, that's it for us. Um, as always, thank you so much for listening. Please um, follow us on you know, all social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And then, of course, follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you prefer getting your podcasts so that you know when we're dropping episodes. Um, we'll obviously have a football one next week to wrap up the season and hopefully start talking about bowl season. Um, and then we're gonna keep doing them for the basketball season because you know it's getting underway, and I'm starting to really get into basketball, although it's always depressing for me when
0: football's over. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I feel like we got in a nice rhythm uh, with the football season with how we do things. So um, we're just kind of learning as we go now with our basketball podcast. This is our first actual recap podcast, so uh you know, if you connect with us on social media, be sure to Give us some feedback. Let us know what you think, what you like, what else you would like to hear, what else you would like not to hear. And uh, we'd love just to chat basketball with you.
1: Yeah, 100%. We always appreciate feedback, whether it's good, whether it's bad, you know, we're trying to get better. It's not like we do this, uh, you know, professionally, we just do this for fun. So we're always trying to improve and we will improve. Um, But yeah, we're still trying to work out the format for basketball. But as always, thanks for listening, guys. And uh, that's it for the Voice of Motown podcast. We will catch you next time. Thanks, everyone.